0: A Tiny Revolution features adults having adult conversations, which means adult language is probably going to be present, just so you know. From the Bedlam Podcast Network, this is A Tiny Revolution, celebrating our everyday victories while telling the stories and having the conversations that actually matter. My name is Kevin Garcia, and I am so thankful that you're joining me again for another episode. Uh, this week, I'm talking with my friend, Emmy Kegler. She is a pastor and reverend, and we're talking about everything from like Lutheranism to communion to community and everything in between. She's truly a stunning and wonderful individual. But before I get to that, I just wanted to say thank you for sticking with me through all this stuff. Uh, it's, it's been uh, a rough couple of weeks for me. Um, If you've been following my stuff on social media and on uh, my blog, and even here on A Tiny Revolution, you know that I've been struggling with my depression and anxiety. Um, I started seeing a therapist recently, and that has helped me immensely with being able to recognize uh, certain thought patterns that have been really getting in the way. Um, I've had some really, really amazing people come into my life recently who have just reminded me of my self-worth. And... um, including my friend Arvey Mendoza. I'm actually recording this in Arvey's apartment. Um, If you don't know Arvey Mendoza, he is a disco pop artist based out of Detroit as well as a um, graduate of the Reformation Project leadership cohort. He is literally probably the most fierce individual I've ever met in my life, not only style-wise, but just as an artist and creative. And I'm actually going to be making him sit down and uh, do an interview with me later so that I can just pick his brain about all the things so anyways um i'm so stoked for this thing um we're about to kick things up to 100 on the creativity level um i've got a youtube channel that i am actually plotting and planning to launch hopefully by the middle of may as well as some ideas for t-shirts that i'm plotting and creating with a lot of plotting going on um with my friend donnie so you guys can expect a lot coming out of uh, my work soon um and having said that um I do love this work, and as you know, um, I uh, the reason I'm able to do this work is because I have amazing supporters like you on Patreon. And what Patreon is is this really great uh, way for you to connect with me and give to this this work financially. So whether it's like $5 a month, $10 a month, or even just a couple bucks a month, that makes a difference and helps me um, be able to pour into creating work like this so that uh, you don't have to go around searching the internet for it. Um I am a firm believer that if we're consuming something, we should certainly be compensating someone for it. Um, because I, again, this costs me money. Like I have hosting fees. I have a whole network of, uh, of other podcasts that I'm now responsible for, which I'll talk about later. Um, so yeah, if this work is doing some good for you, I would really encourage you to go over to patreon.com slash the Kevin Garcia to learn more about how you can become a patron too. um, things coming up i don't have any big travel plans oh i do actually i'm going to be at the wild goose festival this summer i've got a workshop going on and possibly working with worship but the workshop is definitely confirmed so be sure to get your tickets for the wild goose festival and come hang out with us in the crazy hippie forest of hot springs north carolina it's honestly going to be an incredible time last my experience other last time was such a powerful experience for me and really confirmed my calling in this creative work that i'm doing so i think you are going to have a good time too Okay, let's go ahead and jump into the conversation today. I'm talking with my, my girl, Boo, the Reverend Emmy Kegler. A little bit about her. Uh, Emmy R. Kegler has a Master's in Divinity from the Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota. She was raised in the Episcopal, uh, the Episcopal Church and spent some time floating through evangelical and non-denominational traditions before finding her home in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America. She's currently serving as the pastor of a Lutheran church in Minneapolis. Uh, she's got some background in web design and it's an incredible writer. Uh, she also gave the message during the liturgical service on uh, in January for the Gay Christian Network Conference, and she nailed it, which we're going to touch on, like how moved I was by it, and how she's also slowly trying to convert me to becoming a Lutheran. And I don't want to admit it, but it might be working. Who can say? We're going to find out. Um, anyways, in our conversation, we're talking about that. We're talking about... Uh, just her life and just it's so inspirational beyond all this you know fluffy stuff I'm, I'm giving you she enjoys biking board games books beer and babysitting her girlfriend's dog which her girlfriend is now actually her fiance so that's cute <laughs> anyways this is my conversation with the reverend emmy kegler my words may seem mighty hollow but don't doubt that i can
1: for a woman. Yeah, I grew up in an affirming household and an affirming congregation and an affirming denomination, so I really hit the lottery as far as that goes. Uh, My mom had a close friend who had been in a lesbian partnership for, I think, probably 15 or 20 years by the time I was born. And so I grew up with, um, I don't know if I would say, like, role models, but at least examples of uh, diverse sexualities in my life as as it was in the 80s, you know. And I figured out that I was gay around age 14, and even in a supportive family and in a supportive church, where, like, we had a we had a trans woman in our women's group at church. Wow. And so, she, like, she was just accepted as she was. And this is, like, the 90s, you know. Mm-hmm. This is significantly before any sort of uh, representation of trans women in the media that you could think of as sort of encompassing or positive beyond, you know, um, the really limited stereotypes we used to have. Mm-hmm. And even in that really supportive environment, I stayed in the closet for two years thinking about is this, you know, do I really – am I really sure I can do this? And I was reasonably convinced that it was possible to be gay and Christian or lesbian and Christian. Um, And that was the kind of limited perspective I had at the time was very like, you're either gay or straight. Um, And I I had a sense you could be, yeah, I had a sense you could be either, you could be gay and you could be Christian, but I was not convinced that it was going to be possible for me to be a minister and be gay Mm -hmm. openly. And, I was beginning to discern a call to ministry around age 15. And so that really intersected with that coming out process as far as like, am I willing to try to reunite these multiple identities?
0: Mm-hmm. Interesting. So mm. I, Cause I think, uh, I mean, growing up in the evangelical environment, it was absolutely impossible for me. And so for me, like I knew from like, you know, I had like a, an encounter with the Holy Ghost at age nine. Um, like, like, I was actually, I was just, so I'm working on, like, my personal autobiographical statement for seminary. And it's like, okay, tell us about your life. Tell us about all the significant things that happened. Tell us about your call to ministry. Tell us why this particular school. And do it in four pages double spaced. I'm just like, that's it? Oh, wow. I'm like, because I can wax poetic all day. I'll give you a dissertation before I get there if you like. But you want me to say it in four pages? So I've gone through and just, like, what do I what do I need to say? What are, like, the main points? What can I cut down? So right now, I'm editing through a ten-pager that I wrote and knocking down to what I get. And also trying to, like, encompass, like... Because, like, I'm not... Uh... I'm not part of, like, a denomination, like, right. really. Because, um, like, even though, like, I would say, like, a lot of, like, my expressions of faith, like, fall in line with, like evangelical Pentecostal expressions of faith. I'm still super ecumenical and like, you know, I I can walk into a mass and feel just as at home as I am in a, in a, you know, very uh, expressive worship environment. And at the same time, like I also recognize that I don't know, like the more I get to know God, the more I realize I don't know anything. And so it's one Mm -hmm. of those things, like how do I communicate that? Like, I know that I'm supposed to be a pastor and a teacher, but I also understand that i don't know anything and i never will i never could and so (laughs) it's like i don't know if that's like a good or bad thing to recognize early on or or what but there it is
1: indeed are you wait are you saying that the mass is not expressive Kevin?
0: oh no 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 sorry mass is so (laughs) mass is totally expressive just like um in a more controlled way, you know? No, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so other things that you do, um, Reverend Emmy Kegler, you... Oh. Uh, did you like that? <laughs> He's like, I don't want that. You're in my, I'm still not used to it. Well, you're in my phone as Reverend Emmy Kegler. All of my friends... Oh, my goodness. Yeah, all of my friends That's who wear great. the collar have, have Reverend in their phone.
1: Mm.
0: Just want to pay uh, honor where honor is due.
1: Right. I mean, I worked. I worked for it. Uh, the coffee shop where I go, where that one of my congregants owns, uh, whenever he's working, which is often because he, um, like me, has trouble delegating. He calls me the Right Reverend Left Leaning, which Oof. I think is
0: delightful. That's beautiful. Is that is that yeah, for your great. political stance, or is that just because of just like you are constantly, just? Yeah,
1: it's it's because I walk with a little bit of a hobble. No, it's it's for my political <laughs> stances. <laughs>
0: um so in addition to um because you graduated a couple of years ago right
1: yeah i graduated in 2014 mm-hmm. okay and got this job uh just last year two years off from
0: mm-hmm.
1: ministry or from seminary
0: okay and so you've been doing you've been leading this congregation has it been a positive experience for you
1: Oh, yeah, I feel incredibly lucky to be in the congregation that I'm in. um They are just incredibly servant hearted people. It's really grounded in the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Most of our congregants are within like a mile or two, which is um quite impressive actually and you're far, a, you're lutheran um, right right lutheran mm-hmm. uh and so in a in a city like Minneapolis where and in northeast Minneapolis, where we are where there is a church on every corner mm. Mm-hmm um also microbreweries but uh church in every corner.
0: praise god <laughs> and sometimes good sometimes like, like we like we'll just repurpose the old cathedrals into breweries like they do mm-hmm. in pittsburgh exactly. apparently
1: as you and i noticed uh no it's, it's a good lutheran town you know lots of churches lots of bars
0: um and <laughs> that's probably the one thing i will say is like the most attractive not that's not true not the most attractive thing to me about Lutheranism is how much you guys like to drink beer. Amen. That's not true. Like, Lutheranism is... We do. Is, it's been attractive to me for just a multitude of reasons, and um, if I think if I were ever to to join a mainline, it'd probably be within the Lutheran tradition. Just because every single Lutheran pastor I... Pastor... You guys are pastors, not priests, right?
1: Correct. We're pastors. Yeah.
0: Okay. Every single Lutheran pastor I know, I'm just like, dang, you guys, you get it. <laughs> What was something, um do you know who Nicole Garcia is? Yeah. So Nicole and I, like I love getting together with her and just like cutting up with her because she said she said the problem with Lutheran theology is it's wasted on Lutherans. I'm just like, whoa, that's interesting. She's like, you would get it. She's like, you should come. Yeah. Like one of us.
1: <laughs> no, that's that's really true. We have some really beautiful like inherently postmodern concepts hidden in 16th century theology. Um, And and there there are a lot of ways in which Luther was significantly ahead of his time. And there are a lot of ways in which Luther was significantly bound by his time. And um, for this church to move forward, we really need to confess those more, uh, just more often. But there are some beautiful understandings about... um, you know what the Christian life, how the Christian life is centered and ordered, and um, beautifully in inherent paradoxes in our theology that are are celebrated rather than hmm. fought with. And um, yeah, it's. I mean, I didn't grow up Lutheran. This is this is my adopted home, and it really is the place that has been like water in the wilderness for me.
0: Wow. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Don't call me now, right, Lord. I don't. I don't know if I can do. It. <laughs>
1: You do have to put up with a lot of institutional, um, both uh, bureaucratic and worship-style institutional Mm -hmm. commitments in the Lutheran Church, Mm -hmm. and that can be really cramping for some people. And I see that a lot in in a lot of our seminarians and a lot of people who are my age, where just we get completely cramped by the institutional needs. Mm -hmm. And um, the most successful folks are either the ones who are just so strikingly brilliant that they fight with the institution and the institution goes, yeah, you're right. Um, you can do, please, please fight with us because you're clearly right. Or they know how to sort of navigate the institutional things and still find the pockets where they can do really innovative and and transformative things.
0: Um, what has been the most challenging thing for you coming into the, I guess, like the formal work of being a, a pastor?
1: Uh, I'm discovering that I don't have a linear mind. And so creating sort of systematic ways to go through, like creating agenda for committee meetings or um, just tackling a, product, a problem in a linear way can be really um, difficult for me. And I think anybody who was at my workshop at GCN knows that because I you know, create all of these slides and I skip 20 of them and then spend five minutes on one of them because I'm you know, on the fly reorganizing my thoughts.
0: And that's like me during a presentation too. Like I had notes and I was just like, I'm just going to talk about whatever I feel is coming in the moment. Yeah,
1: Exactly. Yeah. So I think that that need to be, um, and it's not, it's not that I'm disorganized or that I'm not a systematic thinker because I can do, I can do both of those, but presenting things sort of like in a step one, step two, step three, step four has sometimes been difficult for me. I find that I like skip steps that I've done them mentally, but haven't made them clear. And so that's been, Mm -hmm. more of a challenge now that I'm leading people in designing programs. Mm
0: -hmm. Goodness. Mm -hmm. Uh, But is it conversely, what's been the most fulfilling?
1: Um, There are two things. First, I love being part of and helping lead communities that really care about each other. And I've been fortunate that this place sort of had that ingrained already when I came in. And I've served in communities before where that was just clearly there. There are almost always politics in congregations where, you know, there's one person doesn't like the way the other person makes jello kind of thing it's a jello is a lutheran thing also Cider so joke um and so th- there's always weird quirks about you know i don't like the way that someone puts the pyramids back or folds this or whatever but in general my people really care about each other and i was lucky enough that i just get to walk into that
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and i love i love doing that i love being part of communities that do that And I think the second thing is um, I'm really starting to see um, how much I've learned and grown even in the past few years of of doing ministry in any sort of um, organized fashion and getting to see how past experiences have formed me and made me more open and made me more flexible so that I can be more present to what the actual needs are rather than what I think the needs are. Mm-hmm. um so one example would be uh having grown up you know episcopal and then um being in congregations that were more systematic about the way they did worship mm-hmm. um it was very liturgical it was very well planned right right and then i spent um probably four years before this call in two different congregations that were a lot more free-flowing was especially as far as children's participation in worship right and now I get here, and I have this amazing 11-year-old who mm. gets the chance to read the prayers of the people one day, which are normally, like, very structured. You know, the pastor writes them, or they come sort of handed down from church wide, Like, this is what we're praying for this week. Here's where you insert the prayers for people who are sick, for people who passed away, other concerns like that. And they're very, very—they're um, written probably usually at a grade level of, like, 11 or 12. Which I hadn't really noticed until this kid wanted to read prayers, and I realized it was much better for her to write them herself. Mm-hmm. Um and so she started writing them herself. And they're, you know, they're straightforward. They're not florid and Shakespearean in the way that is often sort of suggested by the what's called the hymnal rubric. Like these are how we suggest you form the prayers and um hers hers are so much more straightforward and they're so much more honest, and they're so much more beautiful. Um And I think four or five years ago, I would have really hesitated to just hand them over to a kid and say, sure, here's the prayer concerns. Like, make sure you read everybody's first name and then you're good to go. And now, you know, because I've been formed by these other communities that were willing to be a little more open and and flexible with their worship. Now I'm able to do that and pass that gift on to this 11 year old who's got this huge passion
0: for prayer. She's just delightful. Oh, little baby. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's she's,
1: she's just the greatest I have the greatest kids here it's mm-hmm. awesome
0: um, I wanted to touch on something uh, you said at your GCN preaching your, your homily okay Okay. Because I oh, no. cried. I cried during the whole thing. Oh. Because it was so good. Y'all, go back and watch it. It's session number four. And just skip to Emmy's part. I mean, the hymns were okay. Um, I mean, the hymns were great. Hymns are always great. But yeah. um, Emmy's sermon, you guys, was so good. It was uh, just
1: like... The the scripture, if I remember the timing correctly, the scripture starts at like 18 minutes in, and then the sermon starts at 30 minutes in. So mm-hmm.
0: you there you fast go. forward. Um. What was it? Um, the thing... God is not so grand that God cannot be found in something as simple as bread and wine. Mm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Dang. <laughs> like, you could literally have walked up there, said that, and walked off stage, and I would <laughs> have been, like, slain. Um, Mic but, drop.
1: Well, I felt, I felt that was important. You know, I was looking at the structure of my sermon and thinking... You know, I've been I've been to so many different evangelical churches. I've known so many different evangelical worship practices and there are some people who have been Christians all their life and never seen communion happen. And then we're yeah. going to get up there and and do yes, hand hand to hand to goodness. I have seen that. Do
0: you mean like communion as in just like the way that a more mainline tradition would do it or
1: like a friend um in college was visiting my campus and we took him to church with us because his girlfriend was singing in the church choir. And, um, when they started getting ready for communion, he leaned over and he said, what, what is this? Like, what, what are you doing? And I was like, uh, you you want me to explain the Lutheran sacrament of communion in like whispered 30 seconds or less. (laughs) Um, and thankfully, my roommate was uh, the daughter of a Lutheran pastor, so between the two of us we scrapped it together and, <laughs> um, but but yeah that he had he had been Christian and raised Christian his whole life and had never been to a service where they practiced the sacrament of communion of like sharing bread and wine and saying this is either uh metaphysically or metaphorically the body of Christ and mm-hmm. the blood of Christ and so um so I was thinking about that and like how do you how how do you set that up for anybody in the audience who's going like what what anybody in the congregation that morning who's going what are you doing but that's been one of the most important confessions in lutheranism for me is that god is is truly present in the bread and wine um and i know that not all of my mainline or evangelical christian family are in on that right it's it's symbolic or a memorial for for many of us but for me it is so crucial that that is happening um in, in part because... Like in, the, like the full-on
0: like full transubstantiation?
1: So Lutherans will talk about... Um, some will talk about consubstantiation, and some will talk about full presence. Um, and either way, essentially, what it means is that the bread and the wine retain forms of being bread and wine. So they do still look like bread and wine, and we will admit to that, and they do still have that essence of being bread and wine. But they are also... That Christ is present in, with, and under the Mm -hmm. bread and wine. Um, So then that changes, you know, in in, like in Catholic practice and in transubstantiative understandings of communion, then afterwards the bread and wine remain the body and blood of Christ. And you have to, if there's any extra, you have to very carefully honor it and you set it aside and you can have um, time for veneration of it. And Lutheran church is less um, focused on that. We will, of course, treat the elements with respect, but we don't have to um,
0: dispose of it in a certain way.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or we dispose of it in a certain way, but it's a lot less systematic than the Catholic practice. Mm-hmm. I have a terrible feeling that one of my professors from seminary is going to listen to this and call me up and say, <laughs> "What did I teach you? What this is you? not correct?"
0: But um, going back but to what yeah, you the, said, it, the importance of it—Christ being present.
1: Yeah, the importance that Christ—that Christ really, truly is present. Um, that you know, first that Christ is promised to be present, and then we can trust in that promise. And second, the the assurance that Christ is present in our worship. Mm. And um, I've heard other preachers say, you know, when you have a terrible sermon, when you get up there and you just know it's bad, like you just could not get it together, at least communion will save you. Like there is a sacrament that is more, there's something happening in worship that's more important than your sermon. And that is that we have this promise of Christ's full presence with us. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And... Um, and I especially love Lutheran practices of communion because I think there's more flexibility and availability for distributing communion to all mm-hmm. rather than to, um, you know, uh, what's, you know, more Catholic practices or, or other practices that have um, what's called a closed table where you need to be a member of the congregation or you have to be, you know, be able to fill out a card or have an interview with the pastor that says, yes, I've been baptized and these are the things that I believe. Mm-hmm. Um Luther talked about like it's not about the worthiness of the priest who is offering, Luther always talked about priests didn't use pastor, it's fine um, mm. it's not about the the worthiness of the priest who is doing the consecrating it's not about the worthiness of the person who's receiving um, but about the presence of Christ, that mm. Christ is the one who's doing all the work, right? Mm. right. so like I'm not getting this because I'm worthy I'm not even getting this because I believe perfectly, it's I'm getting this because Jesus is reaching out for me <sighs>
0: I'm not crying.
1: Right? A... Right? This is, this is how Lutheranism sucks you in. It's happening right now.
0: It's happening. It's happening. My <laughs> eyes have emotions and they're coming out of my eyes. When I started coming out at 16,
1: I also talked a little bit to my priest because I was raised Episcopal. Um talked to my priest about the fact that I felt called the ministry, didn't tell him about my sexuality. um, I was kind of just like all right i'm gonna I'm gonna come out at school and come out to my youth group, but not come out to my priest, which I'm sure he probably found out you know it wasn't it wasn't a large congregation <laughs> um i'm sure that I'm sure the youth minister was like just keeping him in the loop because that's I don't know, maybe not She could have been respecting my privacy, but I could see someone sharing that like in confidence, like, hey, you as the pastoral leader of this congregation should know, but anyway, uh I decided after kind of experimenting with um, assembly of God worship and and belonging to a congregation, which was a very interesting year and a half in my life, I decided like, okay, I can be Christian. I can be gay. Like, I believe those things that my Episcopal congregation has handed down to me, but it's going to be too difficult to be a pastor or a Mm -hmm. priest. Um, I was there at the vote to agree to Bishop Robinson's consecration as bishop in 2003 yeah yeah it was crazy like i was there they had the there's a whole bunch of ecclesiastical or ecclesial reasons that it happened this way but basically they were having a general convention in minneapolis in 2003 and he was elected to be bishop of new hampshire and so they had to vote to agree on that election for lots of different logistical reasons Mm -hmm. and i was there and like we had protesters from west from Westboro and um you know, lots of contentious stuff. And so I went, okay, like, this is not, this is not going to happen. I don't, I don't think I want to do this. Um, I think I can be gay. I think I can be a Christian. And I think what I'm going to do is be a middle school music teacher. And that is how I'm going to change the world for you Jesus. Got,
0: you did music education too, right? Mm-hmm.
1: I, I started music education.
0: But you were at, not, not Concordia, right? St. Olaf. St. Olaf. Gosh, I forgot. Yeah, you did say that. Yeah. But when yeah, you said that, yeah. I was like, dang, girl, you got into St. Olaf? <laughs>
1: Okay, well, I I got into the music program and I was in there for uh, six weeks before they pulled me aside and kind of said, you know, um, your your music theory is pretty terrible. Like you can play you can play piano okay for um, someone who's been taking lessons for 14 years, and you can sing all right, but your music theory is pretty atrocious. And we're into the first semester of four semesters of music theory, and um, it may be worthwhile for you to consider a different major.
0: That's hard, and I dear.
1: wasn't. It wasn't actually that bad. I was mostly just mad. Like, just like, ha- you know, I I want to do this. Like, how dare you? Mm-hmm. And then realized that I was so much more passionate and interested in the religion classes that I was taking on campus. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> no, please no. Where is the nearest boat to Joppa? <laughs> uh, and... um so I was just like, okay, all right, fine. And I feel like time, getting... every
0: person I've ever talked to has had a call to ministry. It's always like, fine, God, fine, yeah. okay.
1: Yeah, I don't think a lot of us sign up for this joyfully.
0: Um... <laughs> but when we get there, like, it's okay. But just, like, the first part is just like, I don't want to yeah. do this. Because, I don't like, want to do this. Because we also, like, understand, like, Maybe I don't understand because I'm not even. I haven't even started in that direction. But it's just like I under like I can foresee all of the junk that's going to come my way.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I joined the Lutheran Church at a time when there was no guarantee that I would find a job um, because in 2004, when I joined, they were not ordaining openly gay and lesbian people um, nationally. It was like a, a region by region decision and so it was a risky move
0: yeah
1: and people kept fighting about it they kept having conferences every couple years to get together and talk like let's vote like should we completely ban this should we completely accept this you know like we did with women's ordination and i my mother sort of sat me down when i was becoming a lutheran and said are you really like are you out of your mind?
0: Yeah, because. <laughs> I raised
1: you in the Episcopal Church where you can be openly gay and be a priest, and that is not a problem,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and now you want to switch it for another denomination that is causing problems for you at every turn. And I was like, yeah, I do. Uh, yeah. Um, as one no, does. Yeah, no offense meant to my Episcopal and Anglican brothers and sisters and of family, not. Um, because I still deeply love them and deeply love a lot of the Episcopal and Anglican practices, and if. You know, in five or ten or twenty years, when I'm no longer at this congregation and they're looking for me to move on, and an Episcopal church called me, I would probably be willing to say yes.
0: Mm-hmm. So, how interesting!
1: Mm-hmm. In the
0: Lutheran tradition, like, do you do confirmation, or is mm-hmm.
1: that? A... Yeah, we do confirmation.
0: Hmm. Interesting. You see, <laughs> you see me like doing my little probing around.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: we, we do confirmation, and then every like six months to a year, the ELCA throws, the, the Lutheran Church over, you know, overarching office throws another sort of like, let's rethink confirmation because we recognize that people are basically treating it as graduation. Like once you finish your confirmation at age 14 to 16, somewhere in there, then you're done. You don't have to go to church anymore. Interesting. And then people just like, kids just disappear until usually post-college when they have their own kids and then they come back. Hmm. Um, and so we're we're starting to think that um, since confirmation is supposed to be like affirmation of your infant baptism, where you're, you're stating your desire to be an adult in the church. If the way that people are reacting to confirmation is like, Oh good. Now I'm done. And I don't have to go anymore. Mm-hmm. Then that's probably not actually claiming your baptism as an adult. And either we need to change the way we go about it, or we need to change what we're expecting of people after it.
0: Interesting. Cause I yeah. think, I remember I got baptized age nine, full immersion of mm-hmm. my own volition but, mm-hmm. I, but I also like I had I knew that Jesus was real at like age nine so like that mm-hmm. was like the thing that's just like I don't doubt that my baptism was like legitimate and I also think was very interesting too is like I started like from the moment I said the words I believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of the living God I remember just this upwelling of joy in my spirit mm-hmm. that I couldn't control and like people told me to stop being so dramatic and I'm just like I'm not being dramatic I was, I'm literally like Jesus is alive do you get that? Mm-hmm. and
1: mm-hmm.
0: and so like there was this grand disconnect so like me and like i started having like these conversations because i was thinking like okay well like it says in the bible that like the holy spirit can talk to us and so maybe i can talk talk to god and so i like my conversations and like when i when i pray is it feels like a literal back and forth conversation between me and god mm-hmm. and people look at me like i'm crazy when i say that sometimes but i'm just like i don't really know how to explain it other than just like you know in the moment by moment, I was like, God, should I be doing this? I instantly hear a yes or a no, or like a go in this direction. Um, which is honestly like why I am applying for, uh, Candler school of theology last minute because, nice. um, because it was like, go do this. It was like, okay. But it's, it's one of those things where, um, I think at least like in evangelicalism, just like it's, it's so wrapped up, in lesson and this is like you know me critiquing my people and also just like the way we do it but like I feel like confirmation is such a very interesting thing too for me especially coming in as like a from the evangelical side because you know we don't have that it's just like you're raised you're baptized you're just kind of expected to do the Christian thing which which ultimately in evangelicalism looks like getting married and having babies and then continuing to raise them in the same tradition as you never questioning anything (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Less the whole. So
1: so, what's better is just keeping people in the church and not having a sort of teenage, young adult process for thought, and then um, having them make babies and never question things. Or should we put them through a rigorous program of education that when they're fourteen to sixteen, they then finish and then never come back? Like, which one is better?
0: IDK. IDK.
1: Um, I am. I have a mixed relationship with confirmation because growing up in a mainline church that did confirmation, I wanted to be confirmed at 14 and I like very concretely asserted, like I understand what confirmation is about. It's about affirming the fact that my parents, you know, like did this for me in baptism. And now I want to affirm that as an adult and be an adult in the church. And I want to like be able to teach Sunday school and I want to serve as a lector and I want to be an adult in the church and take on adult responsibilities. And they were like, you're too young. You have to be 16. And I was like, this is bull honky because there are people who are 16 and getting confirmed and then they leave. Like, I want to stay here and do stuff.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: If I have that passion, like, why would you not confirm me? Why would you not aff- affirm that? Mm-hmm. And um, so I, I did confirmation the first, there were two, it was a two-year program. I did the first year and like second time that we've met so it's me and four other girls my age who are 14 or 15 and the four other ones are like well I'm just here because my parents are making me and I said no that's why we got baptized like your parents drug you to baptism because you were an infant and you didn't have a choice and this is the part where we get to make a choice and claim our baptism for ourselves and say as an adult I want to claim this mm. and claim these promises that were made for me in the faith of my parents and the congregation that confer- that, that baptized me and now I want to claim that and move into it fully as an adult and they were all like wow you're kind of a mood killer and uh, i had so much trouble in that setting Mm -hmm. um that i um i had so much trouble in that setting that i ended up doing an independent study for my second year of confirmation because they were like you're just you're you're too much trouble
0: like go over here
1: yeah go over here i mean you have to do independent study with the the head priest so that wasn't a bad thing but it was definitely like okay the other like you clearly have a different idea of what's going on here than the other kids and Mm -hmm. you need to be separate so you can stop annoying them with your proselytizing.
0: Proselytizing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. I really wish I could see a young Emmy Kegler like going in on. Oh,
1: I was not popular. I mean, it was, I was really like, nobody liked me. Like I was so irritating and so, Mm -hmm. I mean, I've had a religious streak since I was a kid and I say religious very specifically, like not spiritual, but like I love the committed, like, religiosity and liturgical parts and, like, practices Mm -hmm. of lectionary and things like that. Like, the organized religion thing, I am on board. Mm -hmm. Except for the parts where it's, you know, it creates marginalization and oppression, in which case I am not on board.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, But, like... Yeah. So just, like, that does not make you very popular as a teenager. Like, nobody really likes a teenager who loves rules. (laughs) No. (laughs) It's just...
0: I don't think I was quite the same way. I was just very excited about everything. Um and I think that's why like I did okay. Like that's why like I think evangelicalism was like the thing I needed when I was Oh yeah. Um because I think I I might have got it squashed out of me maybe in other in other traditions and I don't know that cuz like it just was was handed to me. Um but I'm I'm the same way. Like I think people are just like, you know, I'm spiritual but not religious. I'm just like, well, I'm religious and spiritual, so what's good? Right. Um, I mean, f- I
1: think that's like I'm. If I think if, if I were left to my own devices, I would just be n- like I need the commitment of a religious congregation and an organized religion to keep me sort of honest to myself. I think if I were just if I personally were off doing my own thing, I would be just an absolute wretched person. Oh yeah being of a person and i I respect the fact that like not everyone's like that there are people who are able to do the spiritual thing on their own or the religious thing on their own and i think that's amazing and i'm kind of jealous because i need people to hold me accountable or Mm -hmm. i'm just a wreck
0: yeah and i think that's also just like part of the beauty of having a a church family and like committing yourself to have roots because i think there's a lot of people i mean let me just speak for myself i know that for myself i cannot and refuse to see my own blind spots. I refuse to see like my gross stuff. I refuse to see like and now that like I'm I'm part of a community. Um like my own my community is actually not my church. Like I actually have like a group that meets in my house on Tuesday nights and we have like a one drink minimum. Um and if we ever get like a recovering alcoholic in our group, I think that will change that rule obviously. But um just for us, we have a one drink minimum when you come through the door. Um And we just sit and we talk and like we air our grievances and we give each other feedback. And if I don't have people to look at me and say, "Hey, Kevin, like you're you're being an asshole to people. You need to be less of an asshole if you can." Yeah, it's it's real and it's raw. And like, if I don't know how people function out, I don't know how the rest of the world functions outside of that. I mean, I don't even know how I'm functioning in a regular world. I do want to talk about, you run a website slash blog space called Queer Grace, correct?
1: I do. When did
0: did that start and why did that start?
1: Uh, That started, oh wow, almost two years ago on my 30th birthday, where um, I was trying to figure out what to do for my 30th birthday because sometimes I have like a big part day blowout and blah, blah, blah. I grew up in a family where birthdays are important. So I was like, what do I want to do? And I wasn't working um, in a church at the time. Mm -hmm. I was waiting for... Um, waiting for a congregation to hire me i'd been waiting for about a year i was kind of starting to bite my nails and get a little anxious Mm -hmm. and i said to my girlfriend at the time michelle like i just i feel like what we need is like there's so many really good websites and so many people producing this really good content around what it means to be lgbtq and christian but they're all over and when you try to find something you google it and you like try to google like gay christians and leviticus and you get this horrible mix of things right where like Some of it might be stuff from GCN or from you or from anybody else who's, like, explaining how you can read Leviticus and still believe that it's okay to be gay. But at the same time, you're getting, like, two-thirds to three-quarters results that say, you know, Leviticus clearly says that all homosexuals should be put to death. Mm. And so it's it's just not safe to be, like, it's not emotionally or mentally or spiritually safe to just be Googling. And... (laughs) So, like, wouldn't there should be, like, one place where you just bring everything together so someone can search through, like, here's 20 different websites and here's what they all say about Leviticus and you can read all these different perspectives on them but know that you're going to be safe and affirmed. And she was like, is, is there something like that? And I was like, no. She said, can you make something? Like, you know how to build websites. You know how to write stuff. You have a whole bunch of connections. And I said, oh, I should not have voiced this project out loud (laughs) (laughs) because now you're going to make me do it. Yeah. And so I fundraised a little for it and I had, um, so people just kind of joined up on a, like a GoFundMe to help me launch that. And, um, and I had amazing, just amazing supportive response from friends and family who wanted to do that and, um, have continued working on it. It's not done. I don't suppose it'll ever be done, but it, Mm -hmm. you know, I keep working on it every, every week. And, um, yeah, just trying to figure out how can you really write, like, comprehensive summaries of all of the, you know, hundreds of different questions about what it means to be LGBTQ and Christian. Mm-hmm. And in a way that, like, correctly encapsulates the experience of, of LGBTQ folk, but also, like, a grandmother could read at her Bible study. right. So, like, I'm trying to find that, like, that, and that's always my, my mental imagery, is that, like, you've got a grandmother who's gotten a call that, like, her nephew is pansexual, her her grandson is pansexual, and she's like, what does that mean? mm mm-hmm. <laughs> um, So, that's always what I'm working on, and um, I love it, and I've had really great guest writers and, and people come in to do stuff because I think it's important that when I'm tackling a subject like being trans or being bisexual or being mm. Catholic or um, Mormon or anything else um that it's better to bring in a voice of somebody who's actually in that category than for me to speak for them Mm -hmm. um which does periodically hinder my ability to find writers because sometimes it's just not possible to find somebody who's available to write
0: and also like in in the same space of being like you know i'm a person in this situation slash i'm a grandmother
1: right yep Mm -hmm. exactly like how can you kind of like it can't be that theological it can't be that like emotionally demanding like it Mm -hmm. really ends with like a punch of like if you don't believe this, you're a bad person and you're condemning your grandson to just feel awful. I'm like, oh, oh, okay, yes. But <laughs> we need to back it off just, like, another mm. inch. Um, yeah,
0: that's that's so... always, like, the... I've not been good at this lately with my writing. Is mm-hmm. like, I feel like maybe, like, I've just... I've allowed myself to be really angry for a mm-hmm. while and just, like... And I'm okay with the fact that I'm angry and I'm okay with the fact that, like, I can... I feel... Healthy enough to finally express all these things, um, but now I'm, I'm also trying. Like, w- like I'm writing my book right now, and mm-hmm. I'm just I'm just telling the stories like they actually happened, and just kind of letting the chips fall where they may, understanding that it's probably going to hurt some feelings, but at the same time, like I want people to understand, like they're like, as much as I want you, as much as I want to be in a relationship with you, if you, even if you love lovingly disagree with me, um, even though I want to. Honor those relationships. I also need to understand. Like, I need you to really understand. Like, this is a life or death situation for many people. And if you're unable to comprehend the fact that this is a life or death situation, um, then we we don't have much to talk about because you see this as like this like nonchalant. Oh, this is an issue. We can deal with this later. And for me, I have friends who have died.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: It's such a very hard line. To walk, to honor yourself, to honor our community of LGBTQ friends, and also try to bring everybody else along. It's yeah. just... Whew. And I don't know how to do it, rat. Shoot, damn. I don't
1: think any of us do. We, like, we ad hoc it as we go. Um, and I've, you know, just sort of decided as far as, like, if someone... If someone wants to email me and fight with me, you know, in private, that's fine, and I can take that on. But if somebody wants to start putting up comments, like, the comment section is very carefully moderated. And if somebody Mm -hmm. comes in and just wants to be abusive and and mean and, you know, not questioning or, you know, actually being curious but just being mean, like, no, I'm sorry. I pay for this bandwidth. Like, bye. Come on. (laughs) Like, nope. Mm. So, um, but that's, that's all about like the curation of space, safe spaces, right? Which is a mm-hmm. conversation that's happening naturally is like, what does it mean to create a safe space? And, you know, not everything can be a safe space. And how do we,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, when do we sort of pull ourselves to the back of the, you know, if, if we're, if we think of ourselves as like a glorious army, which of mm-hmm. course has, you know, theological problems, of course. but if you think of that, <laughs> um, when do we sort of like pull ourselves into the back and let the reserves take on the march and say like you know we need to do care for ourselves we need to care for the wounded mm. and when do you get at the front and say like okay now I'm ready to charge
0: you should know that my affections are always true and my heart's got a tricky vow that
1: it beats for nobody but you but when I decide to kill you do
0: with my hands Fine gloves worth the death of a gentleman My words may seem mighty hollow But don't doubt that I can Cause I've got long fingers for a woman That was my conversation with the Reverend Emmy Kegler You can find Emmy on Twitter at Emmy Kegler. Um, That's E-M-M-Y-K-E-G-L-E-R. You can find her on Facebook, probably. And you can also find her website, which is an encyclopedia for queer Christians and people trying to figure this whole stuff out, at QueerGrace.com. Before you go, and as you know, I am a part of the Bedlam Podcast Network. We are a group of individuals sounding off on things that matters everything from movies to talking about uh, sex to talking about faith and everything in between um, and fun fact I uh, I am kind of taking that role and responsibility on as running that whole business um, so that's just something exciting for me I'm excited to continue that work so if you are a aspiring podcaster someone who wants to get your story out there um, or you're interested in advertising with us or getting in touch with what we're doing, you can totally check us out at com. Again, thank you to all my Patreon supporters who are helping make all this work possible. I'm so very thankful for what you're doing. Things that you can expect coming up. um, The blog is going to be up at least once a week. Podcasts are going to be back up once a week. And I'm also plotting out uh, a YouTube channel, which I've talked about before. Um, But it just feels like... uh, It feels right now, um, and it didn't feel right then for for whatever reason it is so i'm excited about stepping into those things and creating more cool safe spaces for uh for people so thank you so much for praying for me thank you so much for being a part of my story and uh yeah this has been another episode of a tiny revolution my name is kevin garcia and i will see you next week
1: bye This is how Lutheranism sucks you in. It's happening right now.